Welcome to the Uncovered Podcast, where we take a deeper look into the ideas, companies, and entrepreneurs that are creating the future and uncover the stories you haven't heard. Uncovered is presented by PJC, an early-stage venture capital firm committed to supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs. We're back with season two of the Uncovered Podcast, where we're exploring the world of corporate development. I'm here with my co-host, Rob May. Hi, everybody. And we have a special guest today, uh, who is Scott Halen from Datadog, who is the Director of Business and Corporate Development there. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm great, Matt. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to have you on the uh, the podcast here. You know, to kick it off, why don't we dive into to your background a bit and, and learn a bit about how you got to such an awesome role at such a great company? Yeah, so um, I, I, um, I started my, uh, coming out of college, thought I was going to be a lawyer, went to law school for um, yeah, to, with the intention of becoming an attorney and then sort of in, in the path of, 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 uh, kind of talking to lots of lawyers and realizing that, you know, maybe that wasn't the glorious future that, uh, I had uh, imagined. I, I had the chance to, uh, meet a couple of folks who were starting a new private equity firm. So, um, spent my early years focused on, uh, in, at a lower middle market focused, uh, private equity firm and, uh, really just kind of learned how to get in touch with entrepreneurs and, uh, think about working. Uh, think about opportunities in software and healthcare services and business services. Uh, spent five years doing that, but um, coming from a, a pretty entrepreneurial family, I decided that I uh, wanted to go kind of really early stage and, and get a better feel for that. So I ended up going over to TechStars, hanging there for a little bit with the idea of of working with uh, the cohort that was coming in at that time, and and maybe hoping finding an opportunity either with one of the companies or maybe with one of the mentor companies. Um, and I, I met some folks at a company called Mortar Data, um, where a uh, great company, great group of people, they were working on uh, some really interesting challenges in data engineering. And I had the opportunity to join them as the first hire and the only person who didn't have a background as a data engineer. And so I uh, was commuting back and forth to New York. Uh, at some point, my, that uh, became tricky when we started a family, my wife and I, and I came back to Boston, uh, worked for a company here called Yesware. And then um, had uh, after... Uh, a little while, uh, I ended up getting a call from the CEO at, at Mortar, who uh, had just uh, closed the acquisition with Datadog. So that's how I came back to Datadog. Um, the uh, the Mortar guys had joined. They had worked with the founders at, at Datadog previously, and a bunch of the early employees were super excited about it. And you know, I ended up just meeting people there sort of over time and, and found a, a great opportunity to lead uh, business development at, at uh, Datadog. And the idea was starting to spin up a service provider channel. You know, frankly, I don't, I don't know if there was a, a dead certainty on exactly what that would look like, but quickly found a lot of opportunities working with a lot of the sort of born in the cloud MSPs at uh, that were sort of getting started initially on AWS and then, of course, Azure and Google. Uh, did a couple years uh, sort of spinning up a team around that and, and taking over some uh, some international geographies on the direct and indirect side. And then um, my, my boss the whole time was our chief product officer, who was very early at the company and ran a lot more than, than product came to me and said, hey, you know, we've just, uh, we've done a couple acquisitions. We did this mortar data thing. We bought another company called uh, Logmatic a few months earlier. And um, he suggested that, you know, you have a background in law, you have a background in, in finance, it might be interesting for you to take this on and start helping us uh, work through these acquisitions because, you know, myself and uh, uh, Olivier, our CEO and Alexi, our CTO are, you know, pretty overloaded <laughs> whenever these things come through. And so it'd be good to have some help kind of finding more opportunities like that. Um, so that's what I've been working on uh, over the last uh, you know, three years at, uh, at Datadog. 
Scott, what does your what does your role consist of? So, you know, I think, you know, Corp Dev is largely kind of a black box for a lot of people. And we'd love to inform our listeners a little bit more about what does the day-to-day look like and, and how does Corp Dev generally work at Datadog? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, it varies by company and it varies by stage. And so I, I've certainly seen it evolve over the time I've, I've been here. Um, you know, when we first were, were you know, early on, I, I, when I switched roles into Nicorp Dev, you know, we were still, you know, a fairly small company in the like low hundreds of people. And we were thinking about how do we, you know, go find um, find more of these types of opportunities um, that we had done in the past, which is find a really great technical team that we think can we can kind of uh, build new things at, at Datadog. Um, we had a great, really good success with with Logmatic. Sort of, um, it was early, but we were seeing good signs that they were going to build a great log management product for us. And so we went looking for similar companies that were you know, small, early in their um, sort of uh, go to market side. Maybe they had they had built a product that showed evidence that they could build interesting things. And, and that's you know that's a that's an important and and relatively rare skill to be able to build a product from nothing into something that's looks looks useful and interesting. Um, so we went to try to find a bunch of companies in areas that we knew we were going to add on to. We knew we were going to expand products, which we've done over the last several years. And so that was kind of really a lot of what we did leading into um, even, you know, going going public. Uh, of course, as we started looking at having public equity to work with and having uh, a lot of cash in the balance sheet, you know, that's, that certainly opened up the aperture to, to much larger opportunities. And you know, we, we could have done them probably prior to the IPO, but it would have re- maybe required um, a little more maneuvering. And, and now we sort of have the ability to, to pull those off more, more readily. So uh, it means looking at larger opportunities and, and smaller ones as well and building out a team to cover, you know, uh, a lot of the, the uh, Europe and, and North America as well and, and have a, a bunch of folks to put behind the effort and, and really just rallying a lot of the company, uh, frankly, around these types of opportunities when they come up. Hey, Scott. So, you know, you, you knew me back in the days when I was selling my first company. And, and one of the things that a lot of people don't know that happened with um, about a year before we actually sold back Upify, we we tried to sell it with an investment banker and we sort of went out and we kicked the tires and all the people that you think would buy a company like that. And what we commonly heard was like, hey, really interesting. Keep in touch. Not on our top list of priorities. So, um, you know, and then VCs and, and, and bankers tend to tell entrepreneurs like, hey, you know, companies are bought, they're not sold and and all that kind of stuff. And like, tell us a little bit about, you know, how much do you, how much is, is, are you hunting for things? Like you have an idea of like, Hey, here's what we need. And I'm looking for these things and I'm working against the list. And how much are you like fielding inbound of stuff that comes in? And is that fielding inbound just to learn? Or is it actually, um, you you know, does some of those ever turn into deals? Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely wired a a bit for, for outbound. I think that's, that's definitely uh, a great way to make sure you're seeing the things that you want to see. Right. So um, we have some areas that we know are potentially interesting and, um, and, uh, you know, we try to try to put some real effort behind meeting the companies that are out there in those areas. Um, and then there's also some other areas that are sort of interesting and maybe not sort of immediate needs, but we want to sort of, we see something interesting. We want to make sure we start building a dialogue early because it sort of feels in the, in the realm of what, what could make sense for us at some point. Um, uh, so, so we do a fair amount of outbound. You know, sometimes the inbound uh, happens to meet one of those areas of interest where we haven't met the company yet, and and so that that can happen as well. And we we do get a fair amount of inbound, but um, I think you know I, I like sort of the hunting with spears when I can because I can be really targeted in the types of things we're we're, we're looking for. Um, uh, and then you know, but we also sort of talk to a lot of investment bankers and uh, VCs and other folks to say like, hey, here's some things that are interesting, and if you hear or see something that looks looks like this, like we'd love to to have it on our radar as well. And so those can lead to some really good referrals. We've certainly had had a bunch of those in the past from, you know, sort of friends in, in and around the industry. 
Yeah. And so how does that change, you know, or, or how does that translate into like your advice to entrepreneurs, right? I mean, a lot of people are very skeptical to talk to a company like Datadog about strategic investment or M&A until they're actually in the process. But, you know, is that a mistake? Like, would you, what are the things that you wish founders would do? Should they get to know you early? Should they wait until they're ready to sell? Like, how much should they disclose? Like, what, what's your advice to founders who may be a fit for Datadog someday? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody in CorpTel will say the same thing, which is like, it's, it's, it's better to, to get to know folks early. I think, you know, obviously VPCs feel the same way. Anybody you're trying to work with over, you know, an extended period of time, you hope to get to know them, you know, for a while before you, you work with them in the, uh, you know, in our case, in an acquisition. Um, but I think, you know, the way to think about it is, you know, one, you know, it's good to talk to the CorpDev folks. Uh, hopefully they, uh, you know, there's something interesting there. You can tell them as much or as little as you like. Um, but, you know, uh, a company like Datalog is an example. You know, we do a ton of, of uh, partnerships and integrations in particular. That's a big part of our business. And so, you know, I'd say, you know, almost all of my conversations with, with founders that are sort of earlier and haven't yet sort of engaged us on, on that level, whether they've built an integration or are kind of thinking about it, it's making sure we sort of facilitate that, that piece of it and say, hey, look, you know, to the extent that you're coming across Datalog and your customers um, and an integration might make sense, like, let's, let's start with that. Um, let's, let's get to know each other there. And then you know, the way we work is once the integration is in place, there's a partner marketing team that can, you can kind of work with and figure out ways to talk about the integration, um, sort of talk about things that are sort of relevant to both of us and, and have an opportunity to leverage our platform for, for that and the customers that we have. And so um, that's usually like a great starting point for us. And that's kind of where I lead it. I don't sort of um, expect that our initial conversation is going to be around M&A in any meaningful way. Um, uh, but that's usually, you know, have, we have that kind of opportunity where there's lots of partnership to, uh, angles to, to kind of go chase down. And that's where we start start from usually. Scott, as you think about acquisition size, and we're always talking to our companies about, you know, once you get to a specific level, like once you've raised that Series B or Series C round, the world of potential acquirers gets a lot smaller. And so as you think about acquisition size, what are the numbers that you think are, you know, palatable for a, a company such as yours where, you know, you're, you're excited to push something forward versus, you know, maybe it's like, okay, this is really large, like we're gonna have to take a lot more time with something like this. And, you know, can you talk a little bit about size and speed and like those traits? Offs when you're kind of going through a corp dev process. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for for us, like you know, we're we're um, you know, we've done a, a bunch of these uh, acquisitions, small acquisitions in the past, and we're starting. Uh, we've looked certainly as as the numbers at Datalog have gotten bigger, and sort of our, our cash and public equity have gotten bigger. We're able to look, look at these larger opportunities. So, um, you know, it's uh, it certainly you know has to be more alignment. The bigger that it gets, there's more risk involved. That's that's certainly true, and I think. You know, in general, if you're coming from the startup side, like if you're the bigger you get, sort of the narrower the universe of, of potential buyers uh, gets. So, um, you know, one, there's only so many folks that can, you know, afford a company of a certain size. Um, even within those companies, there's only so many of them that, you know, are fairly active um, in doing larger deals. And so that's something to sort of kind of think through as a, as a startup. And, um, uh, but, but yeah, I think for us, you know, we're still, we're still sort of working through this. Fortunately, we've got, uh, we've hired a great VP of his dev who's done some, some, uh, a number of larger deals in the past. And that's sort of with an eye towards that as, uh, you know, kind of leveling up our corp dev efforts here as we've continued to get bigger and look at, uh, you know, sort of a broader set of opportunities. But, um, yeah, it really sort of can depend even from one acquirer to the next on like how they think about those things and what they're looking for, um, in an acquisition. So Scott, when you think about, you know, all the press goes to the deals that get done, but there's probably three, five, eight times as many deals that 
you know, 10 times maybe that don't get done, right, where you start having discussions. Um, what are some of the common things that, you know, called cause deals to fall apart? Like, obviously, price discrepancy is is one, but are, are there other things that you've seen or, or common mistakes you'd avoid? You'd tell founders like, hey, if you see this, like it's a it's a sign things aren't going anywhere or, or anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, think, in terms of things that, that, that can fall apart, I mean, um, I think one of the things that um, I, I think gets maybe sometimes is is uh, uh, sort of doesn't happen hasn't happened a lot, but we get we get some, some folks who come to us and, and sort of try to position the company in a way that's not credible or um, position their options in a way that's not credible or, you know, um, you know, talk about things in a way that sort of just makes us question um, whether they're, you know, what their motivations are. And so that that's one thing is like, if there's any uh, concern that, um, you know, just things are, are sort of um, not on the up and up, then that's, that's obviously a thing that can kill a deal pretty quickly. Um, you know, we've had situations like that come up in the past where, it just seemed like we're uh, the, the conversation. There was a, a conversation to uh, that maybe didn't didn't uh, reflect what was actually being said. There was something else going on in the background that that, that made us sort of concerned that hey, there's there maybe something here that doesn't that's not going to look uh, result in a great outcome for anybody. Um, so so that's th- th- there's that. Um, you know, the, sometimes there's just sort of varying incentives that are, are sort of less obvious, like um, or, or varying interests that are less obvious. So founders have sort of different perspective on whether or not they want to sell a company or, or what would make sense to do with the company after the fact. Um, you know, uh, I haven't had too many situations where uh, investors can, could be, have, you know, wildly divergent expectations, but sometimes there's a little bit of friction there too. Um, so yeah, it, it can really vary. I haven't seen anything that's, um, you know, uh, yeah, where if, if people really want, want everybody's sort of aligned on, on wanting to do it, then, you know, uh, and there's sort of reasonable expectations around, then it's usually, you know, possible to get it done. Scott, on um, you know, as you think about acquisition, so you spent some time in private equity, and now you know on the strategic acquisition side, and and so as VCs, we you know a lot a lot of us often say you know to our startups, if you position yourself for a strategic buyer, you know in theory there's going to be a premium there because of synergies and whatnot. How do you think about that? If you were to advise, you know, if you were an advisor of a startup. You know, how do you think about the difference between you know what a strategic buyer will pay versus a private equity buyer, and you know there there are probably a lot more deals that actually get done on the private equity side and and how do you think about that as you know as, when you're going through a process do you ever you know see private equity or compete with private equity and and what does that look like um we we haven't really looked at deals that i think would make as much sense for private equity for most of our my my time here in 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 uh, corp dev at, at datadog just because you know the companies have been you know quite early in their development uh, of the five deals that, that we've done. Um, but uh, so, so I think it, it really depends on, I think one thing that's always important is to understand, you know, what your buyer wants to buy um, and what their motivations are and how you could potentially fit with that. And that, you know, that goes a little bit to sort of like the, you know, financial versus strategic, but it also gets into sort of, you know, what, what are they looking to accomplish by buying you and sort of how excited um, are they, um, what, what specifically are you going to be doing after the fact and how, what does that look like? Um, and so that's always kind of an important thing to understand. I think ultimately at the end of the day, there's sort of, there's a price that, at which, uh, you know, the company's willing to sell and there's a price at which the buyer's willing to buy. And, you know, however you, you frame that, 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 you know, <laughs> whether it's financial or strategic or some combination of the two, that, that's ultimately how the deal gets done or doesn't. So, um, you know, 
obviously the extent you can sort of you feel like you feel a really important strategic initiative for the company um, that's going to certainly help to get the deal done period and then the question becomes you know uh, how, how valuable is that to them exactly and the more valuable it is then you know potentially there's 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 you know more upside in, in it for the for the company right now is there Scott I know a lot of these deals like you can't talk about it there's things that you can't say um, but is there any story that you would be allowed to tell, whether it was firsthand or, or, or something that you've heard about, about maybe a deal dynamic that got really complicated or, or weird? Um, and the reason I ask that is because I think a lot of times, uh, you know, maybe, maybe like a, a, no two deals are, are alike, you know, some people would say. And I think sometimes founders feel like, oh, man, this is a strange process or whatever. And sometimes that's part of it. But is there, is there any story you could share about something and either how it got resolved or how it broke up a deal? Uh, nothing I can, I can, I can necessarily share. Um, yeah, I think it, really most of the times things, things come down to like, um, kind of, a couple of things I mentioned earlier, like ar- around incentives and integrity are kind of the, a lot of the issues that can come up. And so to the extent that sort of incentives are, are, are some way off, um, by anybody who's involved, sometimes it's, it's really the founders and, and sometimes it's investors, sometimes it's, you know, other folks who are, uh, advisors of some sort, um, those can kind of throw things off a little bit. Um, and obviously if there's any sort of concerns around, uh, integrity, particularly around the people that are going to be joining the company, um, then, then that's, that's something that can, can get, get tricky very quickly. Um, you know, I, I haven't, we, you know, there, there's, a, there's lots of sort of tricky structures out there. There's, you know, that, that can come up if you, uh, I don't know, there's, uh, I, when I was in private equity, I certainly saw things that were like, you know, carve outs or there was sort of a, you know, a subset of the company that was going to join after the fact and some that weren't. And um, you have to navigate some of those situations to understand, you know, hey, how does this actually work in fact? And what does the, the sort of post-deal uh, structure look like? And how does everybody um, sort of make sure that things are, are going to operate the way they're expected to going forward? Um, but, you know, fortunately, we haven't had uh, too many complicated situations amongst the deals that we've managed to, to get done. So, so building off your comments there on um, on the, the sort of people piece of some of this, and and um, and when they join and when they don't, and everything else, like what have you learned about you're you're acquiring a lot of early stage companies? Founders tend to be sort of independent, opinionated people who maybe don't do well in corporate America. Like, what have you learned about trying to keep founders on uh, for a while and how to make that successful? Yeah, we, we've fortunately been um, we've done really well there. Um, I think. The things that have worked out well, at least from what I can tell, and I spent a lot of time with the, uh, the founders of companies we've acquired, um, even after the acquisitions, and um, some of them I you know work on new acquisitions with actually pretty, pretty regularly. It's um, you know we we have a very specific sense of uh, a very specific laid out plan for what they're going to work on, sort of at three, six, nine months um, post acquisition, um, and it's something you know very substantial. Uh, <laughs> And so, you know, the, the extent that the folks are looking to sort of, you know, rest invest on the rooftop somewhere, um, you know, that's not really a scenario that, that, that we, we imagine for folks coming in. We, we have uh, folks who are you know, running large parts of Datadog today that came in via acquisitions, and that's kind of the model we set forth for future acquisitions. And it's usually, you know, what we've done historically for, for these deals um, is, you know, we have folks who have been working on a particular area that where they have really interesting domain expertise and have built something um, uh it really impressive uh, as a as a kind of scrappy lean team, and they're going to go rebuild that within Datadog with the benefit of a lot of the resources and um, kind of assets that we have as a company, and uh, that 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 gives them something really exciting to, to work on. And so I think as an entrepreneur, it's the opportunity to say, hey, look, you know, you can go build a a great 
uh, product again, uh, kind of le- using all the lessons you learned from you know, building what you built in the past. And also, you know, we have the benefit of, you know, fairly substantial distribution by virtue of the, the customer base we've, we built up over time. And um, we can take care of a lot of the things that are you know, maybe less exciting for, for a founder to, uh, to work on, uh, you know, a lot of the sort of uh, ins and outs of running a company day to day. So, uh, you know, we, like I said, we've, we've had really great success with folks who are still here in, in, you know, large VP roles, running large parts of the product engineering organization in particular, uh, coming in from acquisitions. Scott, let's say, you know, there's a founder that, you know, wants to position themselves for, you know, they're going to go through an M&A process. It's, it's time to kind of like wrap up the company for one reason or another. You know, ta- what are some tips that, that you could give founders for, you know, process? So, you know, what can, what can startups do, you know, before they, you know, talk to you to ensure a good kind of M&A process, you know, as they're, as they're going through and talking to different, uh, different buyers? Yeah, I, this could vary a little bit depending on the company and kind of where they are. But if, if you're definitely trying to sell the company, I think, you know, one thing to do is really have a great understanding of the companies in your market, how you think you, what, you're, what you have is a, a real asset for them to, to potentially acquire and kind of what their motivations are, right? So it's kind of like, you know, it's not too different from trying to do a partnership with a company. Obviously, it's, there's, there's some important differences. But the idea is like, you really have to understand where what their incentive would be to buy the company and really as much as you possibly can, put yourself in their shoes to understand exactly what's interesting to them. Um, it's going to be pretty hard for you as a as a founder to sort of create um, uh, a, a brand new initiative from scratch in the context of trying to sell your company. You know, it's it's not impossible, but it's a tall order. If you can fit into something that's exciting for them, where you, your team has the skills and expertise, and you've built something that's you know potentially a, a real value to that that particular company, that's that's kind of order number one. Um, you know, there's the usual stuff around making sure you have your, your ducks in a row from, you know, the, the usual things like uh, your, your financials and cap table and, um, you know, maybe a team breakdown of some kind, um, you know, the data room type of stuff. That, that, that's, that's great to have if you, if you can get that in order uh, ahead of time, if you're really planning on going through a proper, you know, uh, attempt to sell the company. Um, uh, but I think the other thing to think about, and, and this, this is pretty important. I, I, we asked this of, of folks fairly early on in our processes is like really understanding what it is you want to do, right? So um, if you have a really good sense of like what type of things are you're open to doing and joining a new company, like what, what your uh, team's going to work on, what you specifically are going to work on, how to think about uh, what what a deal breaker might might be or what set of deal breakers might be, that, that's really a, a, mix, a big difference in, in helping you sort of filter through what's an exciting opportunity to sell the company and, and what may not be. And so I, those are kind of some of the main things. But I think the, the last thing to think about, too, is also like you have to really imagine, you know, if those things play out, what does it look like to work at that new company? Uh, you know, are you excited to work there? Do you feel like there's a lot of opportunity going forward? Do you feel like, you know, to accept there's equity as part of the, the acquisition, that the equity is going to be really valuable and thinking about that piece as, as almost an investor yourself? Um, so, you know, really kind of coming in prepared to think about those things and not just sort of, you know, um, you know, shooting from the hip as you go through it and sort of reacting in real time. If you can kind of think through that stuff in advance, it can make a big difference. That's super helpful. Well, Scott, uh, just want to thank you again for uh, for being on the on the podcast today. I think this has been super interesting and helpful to all those entrepreneurs that are sitting out there, you know, thinking about what it's like to you know sell their company and and and, and some of the challenges and some of the opportunities. So. Thanks for being on the podcast. Um, Scott Halen from Datadog, if, uh, if you're interested and, and want to reach out. And for those of you listening, thank you again for listening to, uh, to season two. 
Um, if there's guests you'd like us to have on the podcast, topics we should cover, anything like that, um, comments, questions, please send those to the podcast at pjc.vc. Thanks and, and uh, hope you'll go listen to the rest of our episodes. Thanks for listening to the Uncovered Podcast. To learn more about PJC and the Uncovered Podcast, visit us at www.pjc.vc or email us at podcast at pjc.vc.